Hello, and welcome to the Benefits Compliance Podcast. I'm Chase Cannon, and I'm here with my colleague, Suzanne Spradley. We are attorneys with NFP's legal and compliance team, and we're on this podcast to break down some of the compliance issues that are uh, hot topics out there, particularly for our employer uh, client audience. Um, Suzanne, we've spent a couple of podcasts now talking about single-payer systems and specifically the first one we talked about challenges to single-payer systems that that are already in existence in foreign other countries. Correct, yes. And then last time we spent some time talking about the importance of the employer-provided group health insurance market here in the United States. We've discovered there's more to talk about, so we introduced this as a three-part series. We're going to go further than that. Today is the third part, but we're going to have a fourth and a fifth and maybe even a sixth on this. So we found this to be a very interesting and expansive topic. So today we're going to focus on the funding of a single-payer system, and we are going to focus primarily on the Bernie Sanders plan. Uh, In our next podcast, we will look to state proposals and then to proposals that are before Congress after that. But let's start with this Bernie Sanders plan. Suzanne, can you give us some background on that? Yeah. When we're talking about cost or funding of any single-payer system, you have to look into the details because, of course, the cost will vary depending on its design. Um, the benefit levels, scope of coverage. So as you said, we're going to focus on the Bernie Sanders single-payer health care plan. So let's first take a look at a description of the plan. And it really is a very comprehensive first-dollar government-financed health insurance um, for all Americans. It doesn't specify whether it covers undocumented immigrants, but many believe that it would. Nonetheless, um, there's no benefit limits. So the benefits range from inpatient to outpatient, preventive, emergency care, primary care, specialty care, long-term care, vision, hearing, oral, mental, and substance abuse, and prescription meds, medical equipment, diagnostic treatment. So, you know, just just about uh, everything that a, that a standard uh, medical plan would cover plus more. So plus LTC, mm-hmm. um, plus um, it, dental care, which isn't always covered. So definitely a comprehensive plan. He proposes replacing both the marketplace, individual coverage, employer-sponsored coverage, Medicare, Medicaid, so that all individuals in the U.S. would be covered under one single insurance program. So there's no more VA. There's no more even Indian Health Service. No employer-sponsored coverage, as I mentioned previously, that really currently covers the majority of individuals who are covered by insurance. Um, There's no cost-sharing. And uh, so it, when, I, when we talk of comprehensive, this is truly comprehensive. Right. This sounds very comprehensive. I guess you could say head-to-toe coverage. <laughs> ah. True. Uh, I know there have been a di- few different organizations that analyzed the Sanders proposal. What is the cost estimate that we've seen from those uh, organizations? Yeah, it's interesting because they have tended to come, uh, come up with the same result. Typically, no matter what side they're leaning, we'll focus at first on the Urban Institute. It does tend to be left-leaning tendencies, but it's, it's generally considered uh, you know, pretty factual. And what they said was that it estimated that over a 10-year period, federal spending would be $32 trillion. That's with a T. Wow. Um, and they said that that amount is so la- large, excuse me, because you're not only having the federal government absorb a substantial amount of the current spending, um, both by state, employers, um, individuals, but you're also expanding coverage to include new people 
and you're also eliminating cost sharing, so you're not having a contribution by the employers or the employees or the individuals, um, and you're adding on other services like long-term care service. So it's certainly increasing what's going to come out of the federal government. Yeah, so $32 trillion, huge number there. Obviously, we have to have the funds for this. So I assume this is increased. That increased federal spending is going to require new taxes. Right, and and so you say, um, well, no cost sharing. Therefore, my cost is go, must go be going down. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, the money has to come from somewhere, and it will largely come from new taxes. So Sanders outlined a variety of payroll and income tax increases. And it included also higher taxes for capital gains and dividends. There were taxes on estates of high-income households and eliminating tax breaks that were that subsidized health insurance. So you had one economist, Kenneth Thorpe, who's with the Emory University, presented estimates that there would be over $1 trillion per year financing shortfall if you just used the funding mechanisms that were proposed by Bernie Sanders. He clearly weren't, wasn't covering his cost for implementing his program. So to fund the program, according to Kenneth Thorpe, payroll and income taxes would have to increase from what Sanders suggested at 8.4% to up to 20%. So, you know, you're almost, you're more than doubling mm-hmm. what his proposal were, was to uh, try to cover the cost. Um, and you're also still retaining all of those additional increases in like capital gains and the increased marginal tax rate and estate tax and so forth. A lot of those which are to hit, obviously, the high income earners. Um, But he estimates that over 70% of working privately insured household would pay more under a fully funded single payer plan than they would than they do today. So that's not the outcome that's expected. And again, we get back to the whole idea of employer sponsored coverage which over 50% of, in, of individuals in the U.S. are covered by employer-sponsored coverage, that typically gets a good rating mm-hmm. when surveyed. They, employees like getting their coverage through the employer. Why would you uproot that whole system and have 70% more of those working privately insured households paying more? Right. So doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, but I wanted to verify and see what other experts said and see if they came to the same conclusion. Mm-hmm. And the Tax Policy Center estimates that the Sanders revenue proposal would raise about $15.3 trillion in revenue during the 10-year period. They also estimated that that was about $16 trillion uh, less than needed. So again, you have another tax source, source yeah. that said that it was not uh, fully financed. And so you would have to look to additional sources for revenue. Um, one other think tank, they're the Mercatus Center, and I hope I'm saying that correctly, but it's a nonprofit, free market-oriented think tank out of the George Mason University. It estimated, again, the same $32.6 trillion in federal spending over a 10-year period and noted that even doubling all currently projected federal individual and corporate income tax collections would be insufficient. So think of what you're paying today in taxes, double that. Think of what your employer's paying today in taxes plus every other corporation that's out there, double that. Um, and it still is not going to be sufficient to cover the cost of a single payer system. All right. So huge increases through taxes. Suzanne, a couple of uh, podcast episodes ago, we did talk about the tax expenditure for employer sponsored insurance. 
How does that play in here? Would that not help fund the cost here? You're certainly going to hear about that when anytime that you're talking about funding. And to back up, when we talk about a tax expenditure, it's the amount of money that the federal government is foregoing, um, receiving in the form of a tax on corporate revenue due to a tax exemption. So let's say they get a tax break of 20000 that's a tax expenditure, that 20000 because it's money that the, that the IRS could have collected but for a tax exemption. Right. So when we're talking about the tax exemption related to employer-sponsored coverage, um, that's when the employer offers employer-sponsored health insurance. They're able to reduce its tax obligations due to that expense. Now, if we turn to a single-payer system, the employers are no longer going to be sponsoring the coverage. Therefore, more of their revenue will be subject to taxes. The problem with this presumption is that they assume that all of that additional revenue will not be used for some other business expense that could be exempt as well. So yes, certainly a portion of it would go into funding more taxes. So certainly um, the federal government would be increasing the amount of money revenue that they're deriving from corporate, from corporations, because more of the revenue would be subject to taxes. We just don't know how much that is. Right. That's a very hard number to estimate, I would think. You're guessing at uh, corporations' behaviors on how they would spend money. So yeah, must be that would be a hard one to guess at. What savings do they anticipate by moving to a single-payer system, if any? Well, they certainly, the, the argument is that if you have a single-payer system, then you're going to have more efficiency. So you'll have lower administrative cost. Um, and so there'd be no private insurance. You'd have a single payment rate, a unified rate, instead of all. Each one of our insurers right now have varying rates that they pay for uh, the coverage at a hospital, for example. And you'd also have automatic enrollment. But if you want to look at this, you just have to question the ability of the federal government to operate in an efficient manner. If you look at the VA system, we certainly talked about that on the first podcast and the inefficiencies in the VA system. You look at Medicare and you can see certainly some high risk for waste, fraud, and abuse. Um, the Government Accountability Office, the GAO, publishes a biannual update on federal programs that it identifies as high risk due to greater vulnerabilities with relation to fraud, waste, abuse, and mismanagement. And the health care programs, including Medicare and Medicaid, are always high on that list. So to assume inefficiencies if it's run as Medicare or a federal program is really um, a, a bit blinded. Um, it, also, you hear that uh, advocates will point to some efficiencies through Medicare because they point to administrative costs that are about 2% of total costs, but this is misleading. And the reason is because they're looking at total costs instead of per capita costs. Under Medicare, you tend to have higher claims because you're dealing with an older population. Um, and so if you look at, you drill down into the actual cost per capita, you'll find that the administrative cost under Medicare is higher, actually, than under private insurance. So you have to be careful of what you're looking at. They're going to, advocates for a single-payer system will point to um, total cost, administrative percentage of a total cost, but you really want to know what it is on a per capita basis. Right. Obviously, you're going to be covering a whole lot more people if you go to uh, the whole country, so you do want to consider what that cost per person so, Suzanne, that was a good recap on some of the inefficiencies within the current programs we have today. Can you expound a little bit more on specifically on waste, fraud, and abuse in Medicare? Yeah, so the Fiscal Times reports on Medicare waste, and it identified 10 states in which the waste is the greatest. Interestingly, District of Columbia, the home to our federal government, was at the top of the list. Um, but most of when they're talking about waste, it occurs from Medicare overpayments. So it's generally when a doctor or another provider permits an inaccurate bill to Medicare. 
they they will uh, bill to a code that pays out higher rate than really what it's permissible. In 2015 alone, there was 43 billion in overpayments, and so it became a bipartisan issue. And I know even under President Obama, he made cracking down on Medicare and Medicaid fraud a high priority. So knowing this, I think you have to look at the assumptions tied to efficiencies with a grain of thought, because in the private sector, um, those carriers are definitely policing their billing. And I don't think you'll see any comparable record in accumulating such enormous um, overpayments. Right. So I've also heard, and this is out there, that savings will occur through lower provider payments. Can you speak to that at all? That is definitely a two-edged sword. And we did, again, touch on this when we talked about um, in some of the problems that they're seeing in some of the other countries with single-payer systems. But they, that is true. So part of the way in which the, a savings will occur by going to a single-payer system is because the government will step in and use their bargaining power to lower provider payments and to negotiate drug prices. Um, at, uh, at the outset, it sounds like that's a good idea. But if you think of how our current system works, you can see how it would have an indirect impact that may not be anticipated. Um, under the Sanders proposal, for example, cost control is going to be secured by imposing Medicare payment rates on all providers. So right now what happens is the private insurance market really subsidizes Medicare and Medicaid and the uninsured because they uh, charge more under the private insurance than they do for a Medicare or Medicaid patient. Um, the American Hospital Association claims that hospitals treat Medicare beneficiaries at about a 12% loss. So if you look at whether the whole system could sustain a loss, it, it can't. Um, there are some estimates that under the Sanders proposal, provider payments would be cut by about 40% if they only use Medicare payment rates. Um, and again, Medicare pays more than Medicaid. So cutting that back to a Medicare payment rate, um, you're going to have some pushback, certainly from the provider community. And you also have to look at what happens, and again, we talked about this in the first podcast, when you do cap provider rates. So there's less money flowing to either to the drug companies, um, if we talk about capping or negotiating tight limits on the drug prices. Um, and if we cap provider rates, you're going to have um, providers that are going to want to leave the market. You're also going to have, uh, it's not going to be as attractive to get uh, new doctors wanting to come into the field. Um, so rationing of services can occur not only through a deliberate administrative decision not to cover a certain expensive medical technology, but also just because there's a shortage that arises because you've got um, providers that are being underpaid and they leave. And so, you, you know, right. think of Venezuela. That's a classic illustration of this. USA Today reported that more than 13,000 doctors, about 20, 20% of their medical personnel, have left that country in the past four years to find better opportunities. And I'm afraid that you would see that here in the U.S. as well if we limit their payments to Medicare payment rates. Right. So certainly that's a concern. If uh, fewer doctors are entering the profession, there's a, uh, an exodus of providers. So, Suzanne, you've outlined lots of challenges to the funding of a single-payer system today. You talked a little about higher taxes, lower provider payments, uh, loss p potentially in medical innovation. So these are some really um, challenging parts that I think when we get further into the single-payer discussion, as you hear it in the political discussions leading up to 2020, um, this is going to be probably the biggest challenge, I think, to a single-payer system is figuring out how to pay for it. Absolutely. And so I think you've outlined those challenges and probably we'll find out, as have some of the states that have tried this, that funding is just really too much for that system. 
Right. So we'll see no. how it plays out, but th this is definitely a good outline for how it probably will play out. Terrific. All right. So like, as we like to say on the podcast, that's, that's a wrap. wrap. <laughs>